There we go. Good morning again. Fourth Sunday of Advent. Can you believe it? Where where has this month gone? Where's this year gone? Here we are. Ah, <clears throat> let's see here. I need somebody to come up and light all the candles for me. Who's who's competent and capable of operating this torch? Who would want to do that? I probably should have asked. Huh? He's not allowed to play with fire. I don't know if you can operate the torch. Can you? All right, come up here and give it a shot. Stephen's going to come. He's going to light. Now, I want you to light all five candles. Okay? And I know that, like, you purists and people who are traditionalists, nope, nope, not that, nope, yep, yeah. Oh, maybe. Oh, there it goes. Okay, good job. I know some of you traditionalists and people who are all about, all of them, all five of them, do them, do them set the place on fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, no, though, that's not what I meant to say. Set the candles on fire. Yeah, that one too. You traditionalists that are like, you know, purist, Advent purist, we would wait until Christmas morning to light the center candle, which is the Christ candle. But we won't be here on Christmas morning, so we're going to light it. And today's candle is supposed to be the third purple candle. Maybe we'll light the Christ candle. Maybe we won't. Um, Maybe you can turn that thing up on the side there. That'd give you more flame. Now try it. The candle that we're supposed to light today is is the the third purple candle, which is the fourth candle. Um, and traditionally, it's called the angel's candle. Okay? Um, and it reminds us of the message of the angels, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It's just not cooperating with you, brother. Yeah, let's see. Old dogs, new tricks. New dogs, old tricks. There you Oh, no. <laughs> ah, yay. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate it. Um, so this is the peace candle, they say, and the middle candle is the Christ candle. Today, we're lighting them all. And we're thinking about the peace that we have with God through Christ, right? So I'm going to call the two candles lit together today the glory candles, okay? And uh, because I can do that, right? I can just, I can just, I mean, uh, yeah, we're not, we're not doing anything like that that can't be undone or whatever or, or be duplicated if we want it to. And, and this morning, you, you may have noticed um, through the songs, the focus was on peace and glory. Glory to God because of the peace that we have with Him that He has made, which, of course, brings us to a traditional Christmas passage for our Scripture this morning, which is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Don read it in with his reading. He was stopping at 7, I think, and I said, go on, go on to 14, because we're going to cover that. So if you would, please stand with us as we read this passage again, and hopefully you'll read it again before Christmas and Advent are over. And we do it to remember, we do it to memorialize, we do it to encourage ourselves in the truth of the very words of God, which is what we're about to read. So Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. God, what an incredible 
word you have spoken here. What an incredible thing you have done here in this Advent and Christmas season. Help us to wonder at your glory and the peace that we have with you because of our faith in Christ. Holy Spirit, teach us, inspire us, convict us, and build us up. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Sorry I wasn't advancing the slides there. I was kind of like asleep on the job up here. I was looking at the wrong device. I remember, and uh, some of you all are old enough to remember this, some of you are not. All you people that make fun of me for my Redskins paraphernalia. Um, 1982. The Washington Redskins had a running back named John Riggins who was my childhood sports hero. Still my hero. I got to meet him a couple years ago, and he complimented my son and not me. And was like, I'm not bitter or anything, but anyway. <laughs> the Redskins won the Super Bowl, 1982, 1983-1982-83 season. And on the cover of Sports Illustrated <clears throat> was a picture of John Riggins with like Three dolphins hanging off of him, like Miami dolphins, not aquatic mammals. Yeah, that would be weird. <laughs> it was fourth and one. They went for it. Riggins broke through into the secondary and scored a touchdown. He was the Super Bowl MVP. On the cover of that Sports Illustrated, it shows him with those Miami dolphins hanging off of him. And, and the title, and I can see it, and I've got it at home. That's one of my most precious treasures. And the cover says, Power and Glory. And when I was, let's see, that was 83, so I was nine years old. I remember seeing that cover, and I remember reading the papers, and, and I saw in John Riggins' glory, a certain glory. And in the sports world, glory is about receiving praise, receiving adoration, receiving recognition for how good you are, how great you played. Again, John Riggins was the Super Bowl MVP, so there's glory with that. Well, this morning, as we read here in verse 14 of Luke chapter 2, the angels sang a song to announce the birth of Jesus. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Some of you are stuck on the old King James. King James doesn't quite get this right, by the way. ESV is a better translation here as far as and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We won't really talk about that much this morning, but glory. John Riggins has a certain kind of glory, or had, I guess you could say. And there's another kind of glory altogether that is specific to God and to God alone. We've said here many times, and if you've listened to John Piper at all, we'll reference John Piper this morning. If you, if you listen to John Piper at all, what is the chief end of man, does the catechism say? To glorify God. And Piper would say, by enjoying Him forever. What's the purpose of everything that we do? It's the glory of God. Glory. I do this so that I might glorify God. I do that so that I might glorify God. I draw breath that I might glorify God. Paul would say whether you're eating or drinking or any such thing, do all to the glory of God. Okay, we're cool with that. But what's it mean? What is this thing that the angels were referencing? Giving to God glory. Well, I put up on the Facebook page, I think it was yesterday, this lengthy definition. <laughs> That's glory, okay? So just master that and you'll have it down. Everything will be fine. Simple Greek word doxa 
The authorized version translates it as glory 145 times, glorious 10 times, honor 6 times, praise 4 times, dignity twice, and worship once. So that kind of gives you an idea. An opinion, a judgment, a view, an estimate, whether good or bad, concerning someone. The second 2A here. In the New Testament, always a good opinion concerning one, resulting in praise, honor, and glory. Okay, Splendor, brightness, and the, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. There's a glory of the moon and stars. Magnificence, excellence, preeminence, dignity, grace, majesty. And then 3C1 here, a thing belonging to God. The kingly majesty which belongs to Him as supreme ruler. Majesty in the sense of an absolute perfection of the deity. That's what we're centering in on here this morning. That's the glory that we're talking about. And as it isn't a very expansively defined word in the Bible, we want to drill down and we want to have a good operating definition this morning. And here's where I reference John Piper. John Piper defines glory this way. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. You're like, well, thanks, that don't really help me much. He says, I'm focusing on the manifestation of His character and His worth and His attributes. The key word there being manifestation. All of His perfections and greatness are beautiful as they are seen, and there are many of them. That's why I use the word manifold. Here it is in another sentence. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of His manifold perfections. God is holy. Can you see holiness? Can you see the holiness of God? No. God is omnipotent. Can you see the omnipotence of God? No. What we see when we refer to glory is the manifestation of these attributes of God. We don't, the angels didn't cry omnipotent. The angels here didn't cry holy. And even in Isaiah 6, which we'll get to in a minute... Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth is full of His glory. So this glory is the visual apprehension, the life apprehension of the greatness and manifold perfections of God. So here at the birth of Christ, the angels say, Glory to God in the highest. We see His manifold perfections here on this night, they said, in a way that we never have. We see something we've never seen of Him. And you'll find a baby lying in a manger wrapped in cloths. Glory to God in the highest. Seems a little weird, right? Now, can we see the glory of God in a baby? Yeah, sure. Life is a miracle. Life is amazing, precious, and innocent, as innocent as a human being can be. And we can look at it and say, wow, glory to God. But the angels point to this baby for a specific reason in this specific time. And we want to talk about the glory that they're referencing. And I want to build a case for this glory And then we'll look at it at how it manifests itself in our lives, which is what we celebrate at Christmas. So in the Old Testament, there are multiple, and we we will do a very, very, very brief flyover of some references to glory in the Old Testament. Listen to this. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. And the Lord said to Moses, oh, oh sorry, jumped ahead of myself there. So the, the visual representation of the glory of God here was what? Fire. And the Israelites were afraid. They trembled when they saw the glory of God. 
Exodus 33. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. He asked him to spare the people, and he asked him to be with the people. He says, The very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. There's a peculiar glory in the face of God that cannot be seen by human beings. God said, It will kill you, Moses. You want to see my glory? I'll show you the hinder parts of my glory. I'll hide you in the face of the rock and I'll pass by and you can glance as I pass by my back parts, but you can't see my glory. It would kill you. The glory of God is not a thing to be trifled with. The Israelites were afraid when they saw the glory manifested as fire. Moses says, I want to see your glory. God said, you can't. Because it's too much for you. And it will decimate you. It will disintegrate you. It will destroy you. That's the glory of God. We talked about a different kind of glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. As you look up at the moon and the stars and the sun, they're saying, God's glorious. And this is just a glimpse of His glory. Just a tiny, tiny little glimpse of this glory that Moses wanted to see. The psalmist would pray, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. When Israel needed a deliver, deliverer, they looked to God to examine, uh, to exhibit His glory to them so that they might be victorious in battle. The Lord is a warrior, the Old Testament would say. Look at this one. This is my favorite one. It is the glory of God, Proverbs says, to conceal things. But the glory of kings is to search things out. Now, this is one of those glory things that I wish wasn't a glory thing. Why do you want to conceal stuff, God? I want to know stuff. I want to see stuff. I want to see your glory. And God says, I'll show you my glory by concealing things from you. We're not real smart. God is. And shows His glory by concealing things. I referenced this one earlier, Isaiah 6, 3, and one called out to another, talking about angels flying around the throne of God with six wings, two they cover their face, two they cover their feet, two they fly with, and they circle the throne of God. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The heavens declare, the earth declares, the whole earth is full of His glory. And then there's this, Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. The glory of God is peculiar to God. The glory of God is precious to God. And He will not share or give His glory to anyone else. To God alone be glory. Soli Deo Gloria. Why? Because He's God. And the glory belongs to Him. And this picture that we get from the Old Testament in general, and in these passages particularly, is that the glory of God is something that makes God, God. It separates Him from His creation. 
It's something that he does not share, does not confer to anyone or anything. It actually seems to evoke fear in the people who know and worship him. And not just that, but the Old Testament gives us plenty of evidence that not only is God glorious, but that man is not in and of himself. But glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God has continually poured out his wrath in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament on both his people and those who aren't his people. For what reason? Because they're human and because they're sinners, just like we all are. And God pours out His wrath in His glory, for His glory's sake, upon these people, all these people, and their sins. Look at Psalm 7, 11 through 13. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. You're like, what's that got to do with glory? The wrath of God is as glorious as the grace of God. And God justly pours out His wrath. This says He feels indignation every day. Another version says He is angry with the wicked every day. Why? Because He's glorious. And He displays His glory by pouring out His wrath on sin. God, in His glory, judges sin and sinners as a matter of necessity. That's bad news. And it's part of what makes God glorious. It's part of what shows His glory, is that He judges sins and sinners as a matter of necessity. Now, come back to Luke chapter 2 with me. Let's read this again. Thinking about glory. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Yeah, you bet they were. And the angel said to them, Fear not! For behold, stop, think, look at this. I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. End of message. And they're like, "Uh, where's the good news in that? And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were scared. And the angel says, fear not. Because I'm bringing you good news of great joy. Because unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You want a sign? The sign is go over there, look in a manger. There's a baby. He's laying there. He's wrapped in cloths. And then they just explode with praise. It says that there are suddenly with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. That means angel armies. A multitude of angels, of, 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 of angel armies just show up. There was this one angel that was glory around him. He's talking to the shepherds. And all of a sudden, heaven just rips open and all these angels spill out and they're saying, Glory! Glory to God in the highest! And the shepherds are like, What's it, baby? What, what's, what's going on? And on glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He... Is pleased. Now note the connection. Follow the progression of this verse. Glory. Peace. He is 
pleased. Glory to God. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. God is receiving glory from this army of angels for being pleased with men and making peace with them. God at peace with rebellious man? God at peace with sinners? How? Question is, what are they announcing? Did God just make a peace treaty and hang it in the clouds like a rainbow? I'm not mad at y'all anymore. Bunch of sinners. I'm just going to overlook everything. No. He didn't just decide that they're okay and He's going to overlook everything. In our passage today... In a field of sheep and shepherds, the angels say that God is pleased with some men. And this peace, as much as His wrath, shows God's glory. And what is it that they're announcing that brought about this peace? Go back to 10 10 through 13. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, what were they announcing? We know, on this side of everything, that they were announcing the birth of Jesus. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? That's what Advent's all about. Jesus came. They didn't know what was going on. There's born a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord? Well, we got to go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, to see who this Savior is and why he's called that. The angel talking to Joseph, talking about Mary, says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Savior. And the angel says to Joseph that this child will be a Savior who saves his people from their sins. The child's people. He'll save his people from their sins. Now, what's that mean? Well, now remember, God judges sinners for their sins. And who's a sinner? Yes is the answer. You are. I am. We are. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. And notice, and fall short of what? The glory of God. God judges sinners for their sins and we're all sinners. And when we sin, we fall short of the glory of God. Sin causes us, all of us, to not measure up to the glory of God, the manifest perfection of God. Sin causes that. Sin does that. So we need saved from our sin because if we fall short of God's glory, we can't be with Him. We can't know Him. We can't live with or for Him. His glory will disintegrate us. And so judgment is coming for all of us unless we have a Savior. And that's what Jesus was born to be. But how? How will this baby in a manger wrapped in cloth save his people from their sins? I'm afraid we're too comfortable, we're too familiar with the story that it doesn't shock us, it doesn't amaze us. Because this baby who was born, that the angels announced to the shepherds would grow up. He would live a perfect life, perfectly keeping the law and the will of God. And then he would be crucified. He would die. He would be buried. He would stay in the grave for three days. Then he would come back to life, showing himself to over 500 people over a period of 40 days. And then this same baby, who became a man, would ascend into heaven and sit down at the right hand of God and wait for a day when he would come back to earth again and reign and rule forever. The baby that these angels were announcing to these shepherds was God in the flesh. This baby was God incarnate. This baby was God the Son. 
And the angels were announcing that God Himself had come in the form of a little baby to redeem His people from the bondage to their sins. And so they proclaimed, Glory! Glory to God in the highest! Why? Because now, as this plan of God became visible, God would make peace with those who are His. God would carry out His plan to save His people from their sins. And when they were saved from their sins, God would be their Savior. God would be pleased with them. And that is glorious. Oh yeah, I've heard that before. This was God's plan before the foundation of the world. And so He gets the glory for it. All of the glory for this plan. It had always been God's plan to do this. For Him to get the glory for the work of making peace with His people. So, yay God, right? Yay God, you get glory. But but let me ask you this. The Sunday before Christmas. So what? So what? God gets glory for a clever plan where He saves some people. So what? That was a long time ago. In a land far, far away from us, right? What's it got to do with me? What's it got to do with mine? What's it got to do with the gifts that I'm giving and getting or not this coming week? How does this affect me having to deal with the family I only see this time of year and really wouldn't want to see if I had something to say about it? That's not my testimony, by the way. If my family listens to this message, I'm glad to see you. But I mean, really, how many of you are sitting here going, oh my gosh, i got to see so-and-so. And I don't want to. So what's the glory of God got to do with all of this? How does God getting glory, God being glorified, affect me? How does it affect us? How does it affect now? And what I want to say to you this morning is that that is the glory of Christmas. That, folks, is why we call the gospel the good news. Because it's for us. It's for today. It's for this week. It's for Christmas. It's for Advent. It's for all the time. It wasn't just in a field with shepherds and sheep talking about a baby. It's for now. The glory of God affects us now. Hopefully. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus can save you from your sins. Jesus can save me from my sins. Jesus didn't just come for those people at that time in that place. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Now this is a Christmas verse. This is a Christmas verse, y'all. The writer of Hebrews wrote before this verse in the seventh chapter that Jesus is a better high priest than any who was high priest before him. The former high priests entered year after year into the presence of God to offer sacrifice for the sins of God's people. And tradition tells us that they wore bells around their ankles in case they fell dead in the presence of the glory of God. They could, and they tied a rope around their ankles so they could drag them out. If they didn't hear the bells, cue the rope, drag them out, they're dead. The glory of God consumed them, and they weren't worthy to enter in. They hadn't purified themselves properly. Jesus, though, is better than that. The former high priests entered into the presence of God once a year to offer sacrifice for the sins of God's people. Jesus, though, entered history in a body and offered Himself for the sins of God's people. And the writer of Hebrews says that He did it once and for all. And so, verse 25 says, Since Jesus did that, He is able to save to the uttermost those who, now get this, draw near to God through Him. 
The God who showed Himself in fire on Mount Sinai. The God who said He would not share His glory with another. The God who petrified everybody He came into contact with. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost anybody who draws near to that God through Him. That's glorious. You see, Jesus is still saving people. Jesus is still interceding for His people in all ages until the last day when all who belong to God are drawn to Him. And so, listen to me, if you draw near to God in your life, the glory of Christmas comes to you and expresses itself through you. The very glory of God. And that changes everything. Literally, everything. Forever. Jesus showed the glory of God during His life on the earth. Luke, when he preached a couple weeks ago, referred to this in his message from John 1. John 1, 14 said, And the Word, talking about Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was God in the flesh, and John said they saw His glory. And that glory was as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1.3, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on how you want to talk about glory... How about one who is the exact imprint of God's nature? How about one who upholds the universe by the word of His power? How about one who made purification for sins? How about one who sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high? That's the glory that Jesus displayed and still displays. Jesus was and is the perfect explanation of the glory of God. And He always will be, but check this out. Check this out. It's not just about Him sitting in heaven and being all glorious up there. No, no, no. The glory of Christmas extends out from a manger in Bethlehem to my home, to your home, to my workplace, your workplace, my Christmas celebration, and your Christmas celebration. Because now, by the miracle-working, glorious power of God, Christ not only makes intercession for His people from heaven, but shows the glory of God through us. As a matter of fact, in our salvation, we have something that all those angel army hosts could only dream of. 1 Peter 1, 10-12 Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Look at that phrase in verse 11. The Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and what? The subsequent glories. The glories that resulted from the sufferings of Christ. These subsequent glories are the glories that angels long to look into. Things which they cannot comprehend outside of us living in such a way as to glorify God. They can't comprehend it unless they see it in us. Glory to God in the highest! And we don't see it all, God, the angels say. And he says, look at this. I'm going to save sinners and I'm going to manifest my glory through them. And the angels go, whoa. You're going to do what? We've seen those creatures. We've seen what they do. And God says, yeah, I'm going to show my glory through them. And the angels can't see it. Unless we live it out. Unless we, to borrow John Piper's definition again, outside of us living in such a way as to show the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections in and through 
our lives. This is God's plan and God's purpose. And it literally changes everything. It gives purpose to our joy. It gives purpose to our suffering. It gives purpose to our gifts and to our struggles. Do, do, do we need to reference Romans 8.28 again? Because we will. Do you need to hear again that God in His glory is causing all things to work together for the good of those who love Him and who are the called according to His purposes? Do you need to hear that? To be reminded of the glory of God in your suffering. Winter's hard. Christmas is hard. New Year's is hard. Man, I hit a patch. I think it was Monday. I just felt like I'd been run over by a truck. I was sad. I was slipping. And I could feel that feeling I felt in that depressive state that I was in. And I could feel it. And I said, God, you're going to cause this to work together for my good. All things. The glory of God, the glory of Christmas changes everything. Because we know that in His glory, in His power, He is causing all things to work together for our good. That's pretty glorious. And why is He doing it? Because the same Jesus that was announced and worshipped in Bethlehem 2,000 plus years ago is living His life through the people that He made peace with and that He made available to the presence of God. Paul would say it this way, Colossians 1.27, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What if that baby in that manger really was God in the flesh? What if that baby did grow up and live a perfect life and die a sacrificial death to give me, to give you peace with God? And what if that same Christ, that same Jesus, is now alive in me? What if Jesus, the Christ, really is in me? That would be a hope of what? Glory. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. That would be a hope of glory for me. That would put me in the plan of God, which existed before the world began, and that puts me in a place where that plan will continue when this world ends and there's a new heaven and a new earth. God alive in me now and forever. Because you see, the glory of Christmas is the eternal plan of God. And the eternal plan of God has always been and will always be to walk in peace with His people. He created Adam and Eve and walked with them in the cool of the day, dwelling with them in perfect peace before sin came and separated them from Him. So, when sin came, God spoke of one who would come and crush the head of the serpent who was the deceiver. And that one, that promised one, spelled with a capital O, was Jesus who came and manifested the glory of God to the world and walked with His people in power, glory, and peace. John said we've seen His glory and we handled Him with our own hands. And then He, Jesus, departed the earth physically but dwelt in and with His people in the Spirit, which is what we enjoy today. And in the end, when all is made right, guess what? God will be glorified. His perfection will be clearly seen and known as He walks with His people in peace finally and forever in the new heavens and the new earth. The Apostle John, who saw His glory manifested when He came in the flesh, as he mentioned in John 1, records this for us in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And He said to me, It is done! I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death, which is the wrath of God. But for those who know Him, those who have been adopted into His family, those who have been given a portion of His glory, all things are new. No more weeping. No more dying. No more suffering. You want to talk about glory and peace and joy? Peace on earth among those with whom He is pleased? This is it! This is what it's all pointing to. This is what the angels were ultimately praising and extolling God for that night to the shepherds in Bethlehem. Oh, the baby thing, that was cool. That was great. I'm not decrying that or demeaning that at all, but that's not what they were praising. They weren't saying, baby. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. That's what they were praising. God being able to peaceably dwell with His favored people was the ultimate cause for glory in the angel song. God had come down and God was making a way for His people to be at peace with Him. God was with them and God was saving them from their sins in preparation for the final ultimate glory of Christmas. God in and through Christ is at peace with His people. And yes, it literally does change Everything for those who are His. Everything. There's no greater hope, no greater joy, no greater expectation than that which we have because of the work of Christ. Christ in you, church, the hope of glory. We have beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten Son of God, given for you and for the glory of God. We sang this morning, As it is written, Jesus, the glory of God. No reputation, you took on our flesh and blood. For our forgiveness and for the world you so loved, Emmanuel, the God who saves. I hear a voice from heaven declare, prepare the way. Emmanuel, oh praise the name. I hear the sound, heaven cried out and love made a way. Christmas was born on that day. Oh, what a... So what's the application? (laughs) Twofold. First and foremost, maybe you're sitting here and you don't know this Christ. You've heard about a baby in a manger. You're glad that you get gifts this time of year or you're sad that you got to buy gifts this time of year. I don't know where you're at. But you don't know Jesus. The application for you this morning is look for the glory of Christmas in the person of Jesus Christ. And know that He came to make peace between you and God. There is no other way to the Father except through the Son and the work of the Holy Spirit. You will not make it to heaven by your good deeds. God is angry with the wicked every day. And we see that He pours out His wrath upon the wicked in the last day. The application point for you this morning is repent and receive the glory, the gift of Christmas, which is Christ Himself who died for you to pay the penalty for your sins. You could not have done that on your own, but He did it for you. And you are given that gift as you receive it by faith in who He is and what He's done. And it's a gift of God's grace and that grace makes God glorious. Pray that He would be glorious in your life. If you are a believer, 
and you know this Christ, the application point for you is look for the glory of Christmas in the person of Christ. You're like, that's what you just said the other way. Right, I know. Do the same thing. But from a different perspective. I have received the gift. Help me to know the gift that I have received. Help me to know the joy of peace with God and to give glory to Him in the highest as I celebrate this Advent. As I celebrate this season. Look for the glory this Christmas. It is found in the person and work of Jesus, in the past, in the present, and into the future. Hope in Him for peace with God. I, I quoted this morning, Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To reference Don from last week, this is wonderful. His name is wonderful. He is wonderful. And He's given us peace with God. His plan is wonderful. He has always had the purpose to reveal His glory to and through us, knowing He would have to make peace with us by justifying us by grace through faith. To the praise of what? To the praise of His glory in Him. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in Thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth Thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born Thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now Thy gracious kingdom bring. By Thine own eternal Spirit, Rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Let's pray. God, every day of my life, I fall short of your glory. 